0: Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 52.
1: into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones.
0: Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we have the awesome Joe Salsahi.
1: How are you, Joe? Hey, what's going on? I can't believe I'm here, Linda. I can't believe I'm here. You can't. No, not? I love this show, and it's funny because I took you running with me yesterday, and, and now I'm sitting here talking to you.
0: Well, that's awesome because you also have an amazing show called Stacking Benjamins, which I love. Love, Thank love, love. You. Tell our listeners about your background and how you became a blogger slash podcaster slash awesome human being. <laughs>
1: I'm still working on Awesome Human Being, Linda, but, but what I – so I was a financial planner for 16 years. I was also the media rep for the big firm that I was affiliated with. I owned my company, but it was a franchise, a company called Ameriprise. And as a, uh, as a media rep, I was one of 12 people nationwide that spoke on behalf of the company. So I've uh, been in magazines. I was the Detroit area money man on the, the most watched uh, uh, television station on their news programs. Uh, I've been in newspapers and did all that stuff. So after after about 14 years as a financial advisor, I was liking it, but I wasn't loving it. And my, um, a mentor of mine wrote a letter saying that he was getting out of the business. And it's funny because in this letter, he said, unlike most financial advisors who skip from one company to another company to another one, he said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I just realized that I'm working 16-hour days and I'm not sure what I really want to be. And I know that although I like this, this isn't it. And if I can only live once, you know, Shirley MacLaine isn't right, you know, that we get reincarnated over and over. If she's not right, then I've got one shot here. So now that I've, I've made some money, I want to go do other things. You know what he did? He went and climbed Mount Everest twice. Whoa. Yeah. And then he started all the, yeah, (laughs) climbing all the major peaks of the world. And this guy now runs an adventure company where he takes other people mountain climbing.
0: Oh, that's perfect. Connected with his passion.
1: I love that. Exactly. So here I am at that time at, uh, at 40 years old and thinking, what, what a great spot. I've got this nice practice that I really like, but I do have other things I want to do. So I sold it. And when I sold it, I, I had a nice sum of money to live on and I decided to become a teacher and a track coach. So, so the question oh, wow. is, how does that lead us to blogger? Well, <laughs> well, what happened was, what I learned from the school that I was at was that I would spend a lot of time, and teachers listening to this, bless their heart, they know this, you spend a lot of time fighting administration. And I really was frustrated with how little I'd actually get to teach and how much just checking the boxes I'd do. So in my spare time, I started writing financial articles online because the advice part I really liked. I really enjoy just talking about money and I like the media. Part that I did. So, in my spare time, I created with a partner uh, another website. That website led to Stacking Benjamins, which led to the led to the podcast. And our, and our podcast is way, way, way different than yours. Yours teaches people awesome stuff. Ours ours tries to teach you absolutely nothing. <laughs> our, ours is all about the fact that nobody talks about money so we talk about headlines about things going on on with money we bring in as many people as possible different voices and we disagree and we hear all these different points of view and our goal is just to just to help out with the surround sound you know what i mean
0: Mm-hmm. and i love the name stacking benjamins how did you come up with that name
1: so we did what I always told my clients to do when they were, were coming up with a business, and that is take a big, fat whiteboard and write down every name just how crazy it is. And so I must have had 150 different names. And I'm talking to my sister, and she said, she said, what about Stacking Benjamins? I said, uh, uh, that's all right. And then the longer I looked at it, the more I thought, that that kind of fits how goofy our podcast is <laughs> and how goofy we try to be on the blog. So uh, so that's, that's how it came. I, I, I should come up with some crazier story, but it was, that was it.
0: Well, no, that's cool. I mean, it came from deep in your subconscious, apparently. If, yeah, true. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's really a, a great name though. I love that name. It's, it's very catchy. You know, you hear and you go, wow, what is that? That's really neat. Cause you right. know, you know what it means, you know, when someone says stacking Benjamins, you know, they're talking about, you know, stacking a lot of money up, hundred dollar bills up, but it's, uh. Yeah, it's, it's catchy. I like it. So you followed a lot of financial experts. You were a financial expert yourself on TV. And you kind of say, you know, maybe financial experts should be followed in a three-step fashion. Can you tell us what you mean by that and what you think yeah. about financial gurus and experts today?
1: I always got frustrated, and I know Linda from from conversations we've had that you've been frustrated before when somebody says, "Well, I listen to so and so expert, and they say to do this," and you kind of roll your eyes, and it, it, and and I, I've I've thought that people that follow certain experts. Um, really aren't seeing the full picture, but I never had a way to kind of crystallize that. Um, And when I would disagree, when I'd say, well, maybe Dave Ramsey's not right on this for you, generally speaking, because Dave Ramsey had a much bigger bullhorn than I did, the client would, would, you know, get rid of me or discount my advice because Dave Ramsey's on so many different places and, and I'm not. But it always bothered me, but I never had a way to frame it until just a few weeks ago. I, have, I was on a run where I do all my serious, either listening to Linda's podcast or my serious thinking, and, and all of a sudden I realized what it was. I was thinking about the Apollo program, and actually this is a much longer story, but I was thinking about the Apollo program, about how to get to the moon, to get to places exciting, they needed a three-stage rocket, right? And that first stage got them off the landing pad. The second stage, after the first stage uh, dropped away, then the second stage got them through the atmosphere. They could see the whole world from the second stage where they were then. And then the third stage got them out into outer space. And so I thought about that and I realized that different, different advisors, different uh, mentors, different gurus are better for people in a, in a certain stage of life. Like I'll, I'll give you some examples. Susie Orman is fantastic about talking about respecting your money and if you don't have a healthy respect for money you're never going to get anywhere that that is to me launch pad stage one advice And whenever I talk to people who are in or pursuing stage two or pursuing stage three, going to Mars, doing the crazy stuff, those people already have a great respect for money. But you can see people that are still on the launch pad who are spending more money than they make. They have no idea how investing works, and they really aren't even interested in investments. Uh, They're afraid. Susie Orman talks a lot to them. Dave Ramsey is another great stage one guy, right? I mean, he's a guy that lived uh, debt problems went through bankruptcy, and now he teaches people how to live a a debt-free life. Now, what's funny is somebody who's going to the moon, somebody who's in stage three, they understand leverage, and they get that there's a lot of places you can go if you use leverage. But for somebody who's just beginning, for that person to hear about leverage, you know, you're never going to get off the launch pad.
0: Yeah. And I love that analogy. I love that rocket ship analogy. That is so cool. I, I kind of think maybe the Dave Ramsey people might be, you know, at Cape Canaveral, they're like underwater, you know, they're not <laughs> actually part of the rocket ship. They're under the water <laughs> and they're looking to get, you know, to sea level, right? They're just looking to get, to, they're just looking to get even, right? And then, um, and then Susie starts in with some pretty basic stuff, you know, what to do with your 401k and, and IRAs and that kind of thing which is really you know foundational important stuff to know but a lot of people feel like hey I already know that I've already learned that you know what could we do to get sort of to the next level but you're right I mean Susie talks about a respect for money and I I believe that mindset is so huge around money what do you think about mindset
1: Oh, I think mindset is everything. I mean, until you envision yeah. it, right? Yeah. I mean, the first the first thing is, you know, Linda, is it all has to start out with your goal. And what's cool is, is that I've always told people that 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 by you know people people don't want to do this goal setting thing. They think it's fluffy. They think it's boring. So uh, they always want to talk about the sexy part. Let's get into investing. You know, let's talk about flipping or foreclosures or or um, you know penny stocks or something that's really exciting. And, and, and you really got to back up and start with, where do I want to go? Because once I know where I want to go, that creates an equation that's really easy. It's, I'm going to need so much money times so much return to get there. Mm-hmm. And once I know that, that uh, what my return is, it gets rid of this huge minefield of investments. And instead, now I can focus on ones that historically have done that. Like, if my goal is just to be as wealthy as I can possibly be, which to me is what I refer to as stage three investing, uh, those people, the house flippers, as an example, those, those people uh, need or want as high a rate of return as they can possibly get. Somebody who's just looking for, you know, a, a basic, calm, nice retirement where they don't have to worry about every dollar. Those people I refer to as stage two investors and they're going to use a totally different type of investing. So mindset for me creates, creates which gurus you follow.
0: Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, mindset is so important. I, I agree. You know, when you start out, it's really the foundation of, of where you're going and what you think about and your attitude toward money. And so many people have such negativity in their subconscious. That's just crazy. But even when you're in stage three and you're building wealth, mindset comes in too because people really get freaked out about, you know, risk taking, you know, uh, volatility, things like that. So they need to really get their mindset together. You know, really big time traders are really good about overcoming fear and their thoughts about loss and things like that, and really being able to ride things out and ride through the investment. It's really interesting how mindset really comes into play at all levels I think
1: you know I remember reading uh, one of Peter Lynch's books and I don't remember if it's beat the street or or another one but Peter Lynch for people who don't know who he was who he still is, <laughs> really? Right? He isn't dead, but 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 he ran a, a wonderful mutual fund called Magellan that was just this money making machine when he ran it. It's been rockier since, but when he ran it, he he talked about that Linda about how people thought he was incredible, but if you looked at at his wins versus losses, he would win you know between sixty and seventy percent of the time, and and for a lot of people they can't take that one loss, that one setback. And they give up where Peter says, okay, I'm, I, I that into the equation. The fact that I'm only going to hit, you know, 60 or 70% of the time, the rest of the time I'm going to do something that didn't make sense. Once he knows that has that mindset, then he's, he frees himself to go forward.
0: Yeah. And one of my favorite things about him, thank you for bringing him up because he's, he's one of my older heroes. We don't hear about him all that often anymore, but he, uh, he would talk about going to the mall and looking at brands and, and watching what his daughter and his wife bought and then buying a lot of those brands and really becoming aware of, you know, some of the popular things around him, just, just kind of in a common sense sort of way, not even like a heavy duty stock research kind of a way, but just sort of a practical approach of paying attention to what's happening. And I love that approach. I, You know, talk about that with bubbles and and how to sort of identify bubbles by doing things like that. But I love just the common sense approach, don't you?
1: Uh, I absolutely do. I'm thinking of this. one 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 of his stories, and it might be the one you're talking about, is his daughter and his wife get back from this new store called The Gap. And he's thinking, whatever, I'm all, I'm I'm big on these, these, you know, computer systems and whatever, and these companies where it's really cutthroat and nobody's making any money. And they, they are telling him about how they love the gap and he's not even listening. I mean, it was a fictional story, but I think that made the point really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But there are money-making opportunities all around us and we just really have to pay attention to what's going on and, you know, kind of keep our ear to the ground. I mean, it's really interesting. If you follow the IPO market, now we have Alibaba coming out with an IPO. That's one of the apparently most overpriced in history, you know, which could be indicating that maybe China is, is about peaking and, and their whole, um, you know, being able to import things made in China is is coming to sort of its own bubble. What do you
1: think about that? what's that thing that uh, Warren Buffett says it, it, IPO stands for inside players only or insiders mm-hmm. only win or I, I can't yeah. I can't remember it was something to, to the tune of somebody doing and an, you know an IPO when there's so little there's so little uh, information out there versus established companies where you can get reams of information you get so much information on them but playing an IPO unless you're an insider I think is generally a, a, a tough thing to do yeah. in terms of in, in terms of China that's where people like you are way better at that than me my goal is surround sound and talking about it I could talk about China all day in terms of whether their market's overpriced or not that's not that's not my field of expertise
0: yeah it's not really an area that I go to too but I do notice um, you know these especially IPOs typically come out when they seem to be sort of you know, at a very opportune time when when their profits are, have maximized, you know, so just kind of an interesting, not
1: opportune opportune for you, opportune for them. Exactly,
0: (laughs) exactly. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes, opportune for them. And sometimes that's the highest profit margin that they ever see. So yeah, it's really interesting.
1: We never make calls on Stacking Benjamins. Uh, when I say never, I mean rarely because I'm about to tell you two that we made on, on our show, which is rare. If, if, if we call it, Linda, it's because it's right in front of you, right? So uh, when the Facebook IPO first happened, that just seemed like a train wreck. And obviously since then, they got their stuff together and they started making money. But it, it, it just it, it baffled me just how that IPO was handled. But even worse than that was, was Zynga. You know the, the 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 computer game, the Farmville company. Th- that IPO we said was just awful, and of course it turned out to be awful.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how some behind the scenes things can kind of lead you to have an opinion about those things, and I think you're right on.
1: My opinion of of Zynga was mostly. Because every time I would go on Facebook, somebody was trying to send me trees and produce. And uh, <laughs> i like, I want the thing to do with this. Please stop. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I still am not sure how to play Zynga. But I don't really think I want to know how to play. But the people that are into it are so addicted. I have to say, they are just addicted. I mean, it's crazy. They, they pay real money to buy little, um, you know, things that are not tangible. They're in cyberspace. It's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't get it. I I, I don't have that kind of time.
0: Yeah, kind of interesting. So do you think that financial experts contradict each other? Or do you just think they're talking about the, the three different stages? But do you think that they actually sometimes contradict each other?
1: I think they can contradict each other. But I think by and large, financial experts only contradict each other because of the fact that they are in a different stage. Like we talked about leverage, Dave Ramsey says, don't use debt products, right? And somebody who is teaching people how to flip houses is going to tell you how you can use leverage effectively to get there faster. Both of those people are right based on their audience. And and, and people say, well, Dave Ramsey's a wealthy guy you know said he's saying don't use debt. People have to remember how Dave Ramsey got well. Dave Ramsey didn't get wealthy by following his own advice. Thank he did you. follow his advice but he got wealthy because he owned a huge company that did very well and company ownership as you know and you've talked about on your show I mean that's that's a, gr- that's a great way to build wealth. Mm-hmm. So um, you know you get great it's incredible tax-advantaged investing by owning a business um, uh, The sky's the limit. If you know how to scale a business, it's fantastic. Uh, Lots of pitfalls, which is why I call it stage three, because by then, when you're owning a business, when you're owning a business, when you be owning a business, (laughs) (laughs) when you own a business, you're in outer space, according to my analogy, on your way to Mars, and if you screw up, there's a lot at stake. Where if you screw up by taking out a little debt in you know the Dave Ramsey world of have no debt, you take on a little, you're going to screw up a little, but not quite as bad. So I think I think I think they do uh, contradict each other, but it's because they're talking to somebody who's in the wrong audience.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get that, and you know certainly people that are in a lot of debt have benefited from his system and from tracking every little detail and spreadsheets and all that, and I totally understand that. But I also think that debt does play an important role in wealth building. And if we, you know, pay off all the credit card debt, that's great. You're back to even. But then, if you're, you know, paying your mortgage off, and you're saving for your kids for college, and you're contributing to your 401k, you know, when are you going to ac- actually get to start saving some more for retirement? I mean, like, all that money is going to go toward paying off your house you're not really going to get that retirement fund going, and that's, you know, where I think having a home mortgage is actually an okay thing as long as, you know, people aren't maxed out to the, you know, to the hilt, but they can uh, pay a little extra, pay down their mortgage faster. What do you think about that?
1: I totally agree, and actually, I've listened to a fair amount of Dave Ramsey, and when pushed, Dave, Dave will say that, that a mortgage is, quote, good debt, and that if you've got a mortgage at a low rate, tax deductible, go ahead and work on your retirement. Because everybody has to acknowledge, that it, and it's a thing everybody forgets, right? I mean, basic 101 is is the time value money. And and, and the longer you're in the market, the better off you're going to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, the one real difference I have with him is, is the debt snowball, because with the debt snowball, he's uh, talking about... Uh, paying off the smallest balances first, and then the largest balances later. But actually, what would help your credit is if you pay off the larger balances, at least down to half. And then, you know, you can pay off the small ones from there. But if if you keep the ones, the big ones maxed out, that's going to keep your credit bad. So that's where I differ, differ with his opinion, is that I think you have to Uh, Get you can't stay maxed out on the big ones You've got to pay that down and start working on your credit right away.
1: Oh I differ Uh, my my my, I differ with Dave Ramsey uh, a ton There are I I can count maybe five different places where I disagree with his advice But then I think like we were saying earlier I'm not the target audience and I think about what he says over and over which is you have to realize that, that, that That Financial planning is also behavioral. The thing that makes the most math sense is not always the thing that works. And what he's found is that this idea of a debt snowball where you give yourself little wins helps that little trigger in somebody's brain that's just starting out that, you know, uh, uh, I can actually do this. I can follow through and I can finally make my way to the launch pad.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. I get that.
1: I do. Yeah, but but in terms of you know, load funds, uh, load mutual funds and um uh what else does he use? Uh, uh only term insurance all the time, you know? I'm a am a term insurance 99% of the time guy, but there's that 1% where uh permanent policy made a bunch of sense.
0: Yeah, and I did a podcast on that too. So I won't go yes. into it here, but yeah. I um I think it can make sense to have permanent coverage for sure. So who, sa- are, who are your sa- favorite
1: financial experts? I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, the sad thing is, is that, like you were saying on that particular show, that the way permanent policies get sold is different than the way they're effectively used, too, which is the frustrating part because yeah. I know there's a part of this audience out there that hears me say that permanent policies can be effective that immediately discredit what I'm saying because they've seen them used wrong so often. But anyway.
0: Mm, that's a good point.
1: My yeah. favorite my favorite financial experts. So in so in uh, stage two. If you're looking for good stage two advice, let me explain a little bit clear what I mean by stage two advice. This is for the person out there, Linda, who's not as worried about becoming wealthy as they're worried about just not worrying about their money. You know, I had had clients that were very happy doing what they're doing. They knew they could be better paid. They were okay with working for the man, you know, instead of working for themselves. Mm -hmm. They just didn't want to worry about their cash. For those people, I love uh, Rick Edelman. I I really enjoy Rick Edelman's book, The Truth About Money. I think it's very even-handed. I think it makes a lot of good points about uh, how different advisors work, how different insurances work, does a great job in talking about the importance of disability coverage, you know, which is a huge one. And then then investing in a way that you're not going to get wealthy overnight, but on the other hand, you're not going to mess it up. And so uh for stage 2 people I really I really like him. On the stage 1 different than Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman, I really like this Canadian guy, David Chilton. Are you familiar with him? No. He he had these books and now they're dated, but they were called The Wealthy Barber. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And I really, once again, even-handed advice, common-sense approach. One thing I really like about David Chilton, when he cautions people against financial advisors, he says uh, that, that your advice should be able, your strategy, you should be able to fit on a napkin. And if you can't fit it on a napkin, then it's way too complicated. And for somebody who's a stage one investor, I believe that. And, and what I was frustrated me, and you and I had, <laughs> have had this talk before, is when a financial advisor says, oh, this is way too complicated for you. You know, you just gotta hand it to me because it's way too complicated for you. Uh, man, an advisor tells you that it's way too complicated and it won't fit on a napkin, probably time to run away.
0: Yeah, I like that, fit on a napkin, that's good. So, what
1: about Robert Kiyosaki, are you a fan of his? I am a fan of Robert Kiyosaki's, once again, for, for the right audience. Here, here's, here is, and I'll just jump into my frustration with Robert Kiyosaki. Somebody who's a stage one investor, a lot of people get introduced to Robert Kiyosaki and they're a stage one person who don't have the fundamental base and they're trying to implement small company stocks and, and buying property. And, and those two things are fantastic approaches to money, um, and I agree that those will help you exit the rat race. I think of those more as stage three advice. And, and, and I would rather have a firm grasp of the basics before I, before I set down the Robert Kiyosaki path.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's sage advice. That makes sense. I mean, he, he does have a way of really showing people the difference between being an employee and being self-employed. Business owner, which is just fabulous. I mean, he's changed so many people's lives.
1: Really, my, oh yeah, my favorite part, Linda, is is how a dollar working on your behalf. I love his analogy here. It's like that dollar that you already have saved. It's so much more tax efficient. It can work so much faster than you can. Uh, you did a podcast on that too, right? About how income isn't the way to yep. isn't the way to go. It's it's mm-hmm. the investments, and um and I love his analogy there. And ever since I read, uh, I ever since I read his book, I think about every time I save, I think about I've got this guy with a lunch bucket who goes to work, uh, hopefully one day instead of me. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and Kiyosaki's been uh, into the metals some, which as you may know, I'm a fan of. And I like the fact that he's not just set on one way to build wealth all the time that he does have some flexibility and some different methods, and um, I think that's important for people, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah we just had we just we just had his co-author, Poor Dad, Sharon Lecter on our show mm-hmm. And Sharon was talking about you know her background is as a CPA and she said something that I also loved which is buried in the books but is never said outright which is that you know I said CPA and I kind of joked about how boring it being a CPA she goes it is boring but once you understand the numbers once you get past the fact that it's quote boring she said being a CPA taught you to read the story in the numbers and she said a lot of these companies it's like a good novel you know (laughs) they dig into the numbers and you can read the numbers numbers, then you can make some intelligent investing decisions. So I think so many people are so afraid of math that that diving down into those numbers, like you know, even just Kiyosaki with, with small cap stocks is it just just from a you know we talk about Dave Ramsey in behavioral finance. Well a stock will go from one dollar to two dollars more quickly than a stock will go from a hundred dollars to two hundred dollars, just even though it's the same percentage, just because of investors' perceptions of value. And mm-hmm. and, and once you understand the investor perceptions of value, uh, you invest differently.
0: Yeah. Well, and of course Warren Buffett, you know, just reads the financial statements of companies that he wants to invest in. He doesn't read what financial analysts write. He says if he wants a good laugh, he reads financial analyst's recommendations. (laughs) And uh, so he's, you know, he's basically, you know, doing the same thing, finding out the financial story by looking at the financials.
1: Yeah, it's, it's all there. Which is brilliant, yeah.
0: So do you think the definition of retirement has changed?
1: Man, I don't, you know, what's funny. Is it lately, what is it about the past four or five days, Lynn? Is it something in the water? Because I've had this conversation uh, just a few times lately. I don't. Here's here is my feeling about about retirement. For, for me, retirement is irrelevant. Um, financial independence is the key. I look at I look at me in my life and I think I, I'm loving what I'm doing now. I might not always feel that way. So I want to make sure that I'm financial independent, but but the way that I am today, the way I feel today, I, I want to do this when I'm 90. When I'm 95, I want to do this. This is having this conversation with you is a blast. <laughs> I can keep doing it. Why would I stop just because I have this preconceived idea of quote retirement? Like I don't want to be put out to pasture. Sh- Cheryl, my, uh, uh, my spouse, has uh, a guy that she works with who is a part owner of the company, and he is uh, 96 years old. He's 96 years old, still works half days. I mean, he works as often as he can. Probably not as good as a job as he used to be, but <laughs> but but, but, he, but he loves it. He still does quality work, and, uh, and you know, that's what he lives for. So uh, I don't know if that's – I guess that's changed, but it's changed from the – from the 50s style of, you know, you work with the same company for 30 years, and then you get a pension, you retire. I mean, that is, that's long gone. That that one's long gone.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think for so many people, and for both of us, it was, you know, being in this financial world where we weren't necessarily all that happy. And, you know, I know it was a big relief to me when I made the decision to leave. And it just, is something that when you have your own business and you're doing what you love, you're connected into your passion and purpose, there's just nothing else like it. There just isn't. And and you're just, you know, moving and doing things because you want to, not because you have to, not because someone else told you to do it or whatever, but you're in control and you get to make those own choices. And it really changes the perception of, you know, Stopping at some point. I mean, why would you stop? Just like you said, why would you? If you're having a good time, why would you stop? You would just keep going and keep talking to people you like to talk to and doing things you like to do and going to conferences you want to go to. I just think that we are coming into a new age where uh, people are going to have that extra income stream, probably from an internet business of some sort, and they're not going to have to work for other people and they're not going to have to quit or you know, decide to just hang it up, but they're going to want to be productive and parts of, you know, make their contribution to society, I think, still.
1: This uh, this book that I like is uh, it's it's the Art of War. I'm sure you. Oh yeah, I've read it. Yeah, the War. One of the main tenets in Art of War is define your battlefield. So whenever you fight a battle, you define the battlefield. Do not let quote the enemy define the battlefield. And as you know, this book was used a lot in business. And I think about that whenever possible. I want to define my own battlefield. What's what's interesting is, I think when you look at the way as you were mentioning earlier, how retirement has changed, whether you work for someone else or not, I think you have to redefine your, quote, retirement battlefield, because if you're not in control of your own retirement, your company is refusing to be in control. And I see these people still who think, you know, uh, hey, I work for this company, I've got a nice 401k, and I'm just going to ride this gravy train. Well, if you look at the way the battlefield is being defined for us, If you're not redefining things so that you are your own brand and you're selling your service, whatever that might be, to the highest bidder or people that you enjoy working with, however you define success, uh, man, uh, you're going to be in a world of hurt because it's changing very quickly. I mean, you know, the, the thought of somebody working for the same company for... 10 years now is gone. It used to be, you know, my dad's era it was you worked for General Boulders for 30 years. Now it's if you work for a company for 10 years, people are looking at you sideways. Same company 10 years. What are you doing?
0: Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Isn't the average something like six companies that people will work for in their lifetime? I think it's not even yeah. companies. It's like career changes. It's like total, you know, something like that. The statistic is really up there. And I think it's. It's yeah, actually, people changing whole careers, like you know, completely. It's interesting. You and I
1: will, you and I will have a pizza company after this.
0: <laughs> no, I won't have a pizza company because I would, uh, you know, probably get to six hundred pounds or something on a pizza company, eating <laughs> you
1: know, all the profits. Yeah, but...
0: exactly. But I, you know, and I can't have a chocolate chip cookie company for sure because Uh-oh. you know that's really my weakness. So. Um,
1: but yeah it's ice cream for me it is ice cream if I owned I have I have a friend whose family owns this great southern uh, uh, ice cream company called Bluebell and people when I lived in Michigan before we moved to Texas I had no idea what bluebell ice cream was and it was the first time I tasted bluebell Linda it was like the heavens open up and I could hear the angels singing this was the best ice cream ever and I was telling Mike I said if I if I had anything to do with bluebell I I would weigh 600 pounds and I would you know, <laughs> have a severe sugar
0: problem well i'm really on this organic kick so i'm actually looking into making my own frozen yogurt so there you go (laughs) Mm, (laughs) making it at home yeah so that's that's how i roll (laughs) but anyway joe this has been such a pleasure to talk with you where can people find out about your website and your show
1: Sure. Well, you know what, Linda, I I decided to make it easy because as much as I listen to your show, I know that Stacking Benjamins, because we're trying to create just surround sound for everybody, whether you're, to use my terminology, stage one, stage two, or stage three, that, uh, that, you know, I think your listeners are looking for something more specific than that. So what I've done is I just put together a welcome page which is com forward slash wealth. And that'll point you to some good introductory episodes of our podcast and uh, good introductory blog posts that kind of will keep this conversation that you and I had today. will kind of keep that going.
0: Awesome. And I think that paper is going to be really interesting for people to read. I know they're going to love that. So thank you so much for doing that.
1: Sure. No problem. Just for you, Linda.
0: Uh, You're the best, Joe. (laughs) Thank you for being on the show. And until, until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart.
1: Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show.